The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor, there are nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You can be seated. If you want to turn in your Bibles this morning to Psalm 19, Sheldon just read. We'll be there momentarily. I'd like to say first off, just a personal note, I love on Sunday mornings getting to, before church starts, just getting to talk with you because what ends up happening is you encourage my soul. So just a, a couple conversations I can think of this morning took place right over here. It's just so encouraging as a pastor, I get to come in and hear what you have been reading about in the, in the Bible through the week, the things that have been on your heart, the things that you've been meditating on. I love that. I love to get to hear from my brothers and sisters in the Lord and just kind of hear the truth of, of the word of God spoken to me. And that, so it's, I just want to let you know it's, it's a blessing uh, as a pastor to hear that. And I hope it's a blessing to you, uh, each and every one of you as you come in on a Sunday morning to speak about the goodness of God, to speak about what he has done for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's good. It's, it's truly good news. Well, this morning, 
We are continuing in our short series on the Bible. As I mentioned, this is the, the last of our series. I believe it's next week. We're going to jump back in to our, uh, what has been our ongoing series as we're working our way through the book of John. So I know Ryan is excited about getting back into John, but this is the last of our series on the Bible and kind of the main, the main thrust just as pastors, what we've wanted uh, really preaching this to ourselves and the congregation is we want you to fall in love with the word of God. We're kind of starting off this year with the series on the Bible to kind of open it up to you so you understand what it is, understand what God is telling us through it, understand how we live by it, and just to soak it up and find joy in it. As Ryan mentioned last week, it's not the kind of series where we're going to come and say, you have to wake up before the sun comes up and spend two hours in the word. You have to, you have to spend time in the Psalms before you lay your head on the pillow at night. No, but we're, what we are going to do is tell you the Bible is the best book that you could ever read because it shows you our faithful Savior. The Bible is, if there's anything that you hunger and thirst for more than anything else in the world, it should be Christ as seen in the words of this book. As we've read a couple of Psalms this morning, and we'll be in Psalm 19, I read these things and I want to echo these words. I want... More than just the words that come off my lips, I want people to see me and say, there goes someone who loves the word of God. There goes someone who when life crumbles apart and you fall down and the weight of the world is crashing upon your shoulders, Jeremy is someone who runs to the foot of the cross, who runs the empty tomb, and he runs there by running to the word of God. I want people to see me as someone who doesn't rely on my own wisdom, but someone who, they say, you know, what's funny about Jeremy is he's always going back to the word of God. He's always saying, what does what does the Bible say about this? Because we need to be a people of the word. So we've been walking through this in the last few weeks. We started off looking at 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is why we need to be a people of the word. As I'm going to get into it this morning, it's our, it's our nourishment. It's our food, our spiritual food that we partake of to grow, to mature, to be complete, to be equipped for every good work. It is breathed out by God, inspired by God. It is his holy word. We looked at the structure of the Bible. We looked at the covenants of the Bible. We looked at the, the law and the gospel. Last week, we looked at the story of two Adams. 
Now, the story starts off with Adam and Eve in the garden, and Adam, as our representative head, failed in the task that he was given, and because he failed as our representative, we have all sinned in him and fallen with him. We are all desperately wicked. And you see that play out throughout the pages of Scripture. After, after Genesis 3, after that fall, you immediately see Cain kill Abel. A few chapters later, we're seeing the, the flood because God looks out upon the mass of humanity and he says, the thoughts of man are evil continually. And after he destroys the world, but being faithful, saving Noah and his family, even after that, you quickly see sin. Sin is on, on every page. And as you look through and you see various types of Adam, you see Moses, you see David, you see all of these uh, characters of this beautiful story that are laid out for us. Each one is marred by sin. And the point of the story as it unfolds is we're supposed to say, when is the perfect Adam going to come? The one promised in Genesis 3.15, the one that's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. When is he going to come? And we're looking for it throughout the story of the Bible. And we see people like King David, just the, the many sins that he commits. We're like, where is the promised one, the perfect one who will come? And then we meet Christ. And we see in Christ, even in the story of, of the early days of his birth, as my family and I are reading through Matthew, keep seeing this, this phrase pop up, this and this happened to fulfill the word of God. Even as a child, he's fulfilling the word of God. And as he grows up, he fulfills it in the most perfect way. To live a perfect life of personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience that you and I could never, ever, ever, ever live. That perfect standard that you and I could never meet. Then he died on the cross, fulfilling the punishment that is required for our sin. He was raised on the third day, never to die again, raised for our justification. It says that because when Jesus rose from the dead, he proved that everything that I just said, everything he was supposed to fulfill was absolutely fulfilled. So much so that the grave couldn't even hold him. So he rose from the dead, he ascended on high, he sits enthroned on high, even now as our perfect mediator, our perfect intercessor. We, our lives are hidden away in him. Sorry, I'm, I'm preaching on another sermon. I'm getting away from today's sermon, but it does tie in. Today we're talking about living in the word. You can say living by the word, I want to make a quick book recommendation. Uh, we've given this book out quite a bit, so you probably already have it. It's written a number of years ago, back in the 1800s by J.C. Ryle. It's a short, easy-to-read book called How Do You Read the Bible? We have, I think, six or seven copies in the back. You're free to take it. I hope a lot of you already have it. If 
if after this sermon you go back there and there's not one, let me know and I'll, I'll get it for you. Th this book, it, it, again, it's a short read. If you just want to fall in love with God's word, I'd encourage you to read it. I'm going to steal just the title uh, today as, I, as we walk through our, our sermon. But I want, I want to start by thinking of soldiers on the battlefront. During the U.S. Civil War, one historian observed, said, for soldiers in the field, an unreliable postal service was the only link to home. When mail did get through, each letter was treated almost as a sacred relic. One soldier reported, said, those who received letters went off with radiant countenances. If it was night, each built a fire for light and sitting down on the ground, read his letter over and over. In 1942, the annual report of the United States Postmaster General, they said this about the importance of letters from home. Said the post office, war and Navy departments realize fully that frequent and rapid communication with parents, associates, and other loved ones strengthens fortitude, enlivens patriotism, makes loneliness endurable, and inspires to even greater devotion the men and women who are carrying on our fight far from home and from friends. Well, this is how Scripture speaks of us. Scripture speaks of us as being away from home. We have our homes here, of course. We have many comforts that God has graciously given us. But there should be an itch in each and every one of us, a pressing down upon our soul that helps us to realize this world is not my home. My home is heavenly. Peter speaks of Christians as being sojourners and exiles. The author of Hebrews says, like Adam or like Abraham and the saints who've gone before us, he says, we know here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. It's a heavenly city. Paul in Philippians says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and, their glory, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But, says, you're, you're not like that. Why? Because your citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Well, I start off with that because there's a, there's a wonderful quote, you know, when it, when it comes from uh, certain people, you maybe wonder if it actually came from them or not, but this is, I'm 
guessing in one of his writings, Augustine said, the Holy Scriptures are our letters from home. The Holy Scriptures are our letters from home. So how do you read the Bible? This letter from home from your heavenly father. Do you receive this letter and just cling to it? This is my letter from home. Do you light the fire so you can pour over it over and over and over? Do you revere it and cherish it? Does it bring you joy when you read it? Like the soldier says as he witnesses comrades pick up letters from home and their countenance changed. Does it change your countenance? Does it give you hope and joy in a life where oftentimes we deal with things that are quite awful? Is it your comfort and guide in times of despair and confusion? As we've been uh, reading through the Bible uh, this year as a church, we've read through Job. And Job says this in, in his anguish. He says, I have not departed from the commandment of God's lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Do you hunger for God's word? Scripture makes this allusion multiple times about hungering for the word of God more than our own food. I, I get hungry, and I'm sure you do too. And when I get hungry, I desire food. I want something delicious. And I have to ask myself oftentimes, do I hunger for the word of God like I hunger for the nourishment that my physical food gives me? Do I hunger for it? It says in scripture, it says, after talking about the word, word of the Lord, the good news that was preached, we're told like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. It's repeating the psalm. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you taste and see that the Lord is good? Well, if you want to know the Lord, you have to look to his word where he is revealed for us, to us. Paul wrote to the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What I love about passages like Colossians 3.16 that I just read is it is written by a man who lived that. Because we can often think, in fact, I remember a conversation that I had 
years ago, and it was really my father and another man having the conversation. I, as a, a child, sat and, and listened. And the one man was crushed under the weight of the world. And he, in essence, took the word of God and threw it to the side. And he said, I understand that this is the word of God. But what does it say about paying the bills? What does it say about six spouses? What does it say about just all of the horrible wreck of my life? And he said it in a sense that he just didn't believe that it had anything to say. But that's not true. Paul as he says that let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, we can look back and we see in Acts 16 when he's, when he's beaten, attacked by the crowd, beaten by the magistrates, thrown in prison in Philippi. What's the next verse say? As Paul and Silas are chained to the, in, this, in this innermost cell of the prison. It says that at about midnight, they were praying and singing hymns. That's the word of Christ dwelling within you richly, where you can have the world against you. You can be in a dark jail cell, chained to your, your wrists and your ankles, beaten and bruised, bloody. You say, my hope is in the Lord and the things that come flowing out of you are not curses, but praises to God. You pray, you sing hymns. When a soldier rejoices at receiving a letter from home, we know it's not a simple rejoicing of like, oh, I've, I've got this wonderful piece of paper with ink on it. That's the same thing for us. We don't, we don't rejoice in, in receiving this Bible because, oh, this is some thousand pages of good quality paper, clear ink on it. That's so beautiful. No, we rejoice because it's, it's the word of God. It, we rejoice because it's that letter from home from our heavenly father. It connects us as he shares the revelation of his son with us. As we read the, the, our Bibles, we see the beauty of knowing God. We see the beauty of knowing his son, Jesus Christ. So we ought to be a people who, who long to read, listen to, and meditate on the Bible because we long for God. I, there are many people who study the Bible who are not even Christians. They study the Bible because they see the beauty of the stories in it. They study the Bible because they see the, the, the narrative and the, and the, the uh, poetic verse in it. And they can see that, yes, it is a beautiful book. There's 
for some of my classes, uh, an assignment has been, I'm, we're reading through large portions of the Bible, and, and one of the books assigned, they knowingly assign it, it is from someone who does not believe the Bible. They do this partly, first off, because as he is translating the, the Hebrew texts, he's a very honest translator. But then as you read the commentary, you think, how sad. How sad that he sees the beauty of the language. He sees the beauty of how it's laid out. And then as you read the comments below, he says, but all of this is, of course, made up. All of this is, of course, just someone way down the line trying to twist things for their agenda you have the priest's agenda. You have all these other people who've put their things in where they want it. He doesn't see Christ. He doesn't see as he, as he goes through the books the importance of what God is saying to us in this love letter from home. He's not seeing the depths of his sin. He's not seeing the greatness of the promised Savior. Let's look at Psalm 19 together. As Sheldon read it, we're, we're familiar. Oftentimes we turn to this, this uh, psalm because it does really lay out the, the types of revelation that God shows us, how he shows us himself in nature. He shows us himself in his word. I want to focus this morning on that special saving revelation. There is beauty in, in observing in nature that there is a creator, but there is not a saving revelation that comes from that. So God in his grace his kindness, his steadfast love. He gives us his word that we can know who he is for the purpose of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. I just want to quickly work through this. Starting with verse seven. David writes, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The word of God is perfect. No wisdom compares to the wisdom that we can find in the word of God. There are a lot of people, including everyone in this room, we've got a lot of good wisdom at least we think it's good. As the saying goes, a, a, a blind squirrel finds a nut sometimes, right? We, through the grace of God, can have good wisdom. But it's also marked and marred by sin. Even for believers, as we pray to God for wisdom and we're told to pray for wisdom and we're told that great promise that he will give it to us. 
But even that, we have to realize that our earthly wisdom is stained by sin. But what David says here is God's wisdom given to us in his holy scripture is perfect. The wisdom of God is not stained by sin. Because God has no sin. He is perfect and holy and just. So when we turn to his word for wisdom, for the, for the words of life, we can open it knowing that it is true. It's incorruptible. It's perfect. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. When, when David says that the precepts or the doctrines of the Lord are right, he's saying they're, they're straight and true. Elizabeth Elliot says, or said, the, the word of God I think, I think of as a straight edge, which shows up our own crookedness. We can't really tell how crooked our thinking is until we line it up with the straight edge of Scripture. It's through God's word that we can see what true holiness and goodness is. It's through God's word that we can see what is wicked and evil. It's coming to it humbly and saying, God, my ways are not your ways. Your ways are so much higher than my ways. Please give me wisdom and understanding and help me to believe what I read in your word because I know what your word says is perfect and true. It is that straight edge that when I look at it, I, as Elizabeth Elliot says, I see just how crooked I am. Lord, help me to see your word and strive to align my life with it. We see his standard and not our own. Verse nine, the fear of the Lord is clean Enduring forever, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. In Proverbs, Solomon tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then he says in chapter 3, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. God is unchangeable and his wisdom is unchangeable. This is another way that the wisdom of God shown, us in his, shown to us in his word is so different than our own wisdom. Our, our own wisdom changes day to day. We run into a certain circumstance and either, it either corrects our wisdom or we fall into a trap of thinking that something else is wiser. That, oh, I was wrong. I mean, you, you can look at just the, the various headlines in the news about the best diets and things like that. It's always changing. What is good for you today is bad for you tomorrow. And it flip-flops. I'm a huge coffee drinker. And I can find 
seems like a thousand articles or more to tell me that coffee is, the, is, is from the, the fountain of youth. That if you drink coffee every day, you're going to live to a ripe old age into your hundreds. It, it's the secret to longevity. And then I find a thousand other uh, articles that say, no, coffee is going to send you to an early grave. Coffee is the worst thing that you could ever put in your body. I'm like, well, who do I believe? The wisdom of the world goes back and forth. What's wise today is foolishness tomorrow. What was foolish today becomes the wisdom of the future. But the word of God, the wisdom of God endures forever. God does not change so his wisdom does not change. So how do you read the Bible? Do you understand that in it you see the beauty of our Father? In this letter from home, do you open it so that you can find out who your heavenly Father is and take joy in his revelation of himself to you? Do you desire it like David? Let's see, verse 10. He says, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Do you desire the word, the truth, the wisdom of God's word? Do you desire to see Christ in God's word more than you desire to have the riches of this world? It is so easy for us to be beset by the the desire for the riches of this world, the desire of the things that this world has to offer. Do you desire God's word more than a healthy bank account? He goes on, verse 10, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Do you desire God's word more than you desire food itself? Just desiring to take it in, seeing in it the words that are so sweet. If you're outside of Christ, these words may look beautiful on the page, but they will condemn you. But they condemn you to point you to the need for that greater, that that last Adam, Jesus Christ, they point you to your need for a faithful Savior because you realize just how far short you have fallen. But when we are in Christ, they continue to correct, but they correct us and reprove us and train us for righteousness in a way that brings delight and joy to my soul so that I can say, Lord, I know I am broken and sinful. Correct my ways. Show me in the wisdom of your word any hidden way in me that does not line up with the straight edge of your, of your word. Correct me. Help me to live my life according to your word. How do you read the Bible? Is it simply a nice story? Do you read it just kind of simply to gather some good guidelines for life? Or do you read it because it's the very word of God? I, I love the confessions 
the, our London Baptist Confession echoes what the Westminster Confession says. The larger catechism says this, where it says, talks about the beauty of the word, how the parts harmonize with one another. It's the, it's the truth, but then at the end it says, all of this can't be fully understood without the Holy Spirit working in your heart to help to soften your heart and open your eyes to help you to see that these are the very words of God. Do you see it as the very word of God? Do you read it because in it you see the perfection of God's wisdom, his power, his holiness, his justice, his goodness and truth? Do you read it as, as David continues on? For the sake of time, I won't read the rest of it, but as he continues on talking about his errors and discerning his errors through the word, do you read it so you can hold it up as that mirror and say, reveal these things to me, help me to know what is good and right before you, Father? Do you read it like Paul describes his desire for Christ in Philippians? He says that he desires nothing more than to know the surpassing riches of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. Do you open these, these pages and read them so that you can see Jesus Christ, that you can love him more See, oftentimes we serve God with our words. We say the right things that we've learned growing up in the church. But if we're not in the word, we are in a very dangerous place of forming a savior of our own image. We are very close to forming a Christ who conforms to what we want a savior that fits the mold that we're comfortable with. But when we open up the word of God, we see the savior that we actually need, the savior that we required to have that peace with God that Paul talks about in Romans. If you love Christ, you're going to love his word. We can't say that we love Christ out of one side of our mouth and say, but I don't really need the Bible. I don't see the point. Well, if you don't see the point of the Bible, you really don't know Christ. You don't know who he is if you're not learning who he is from the revelation given to us in scripture. This is why Jesus can say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's not a threat. It's a statement of fact. If you love me, you will love my word and you will obey my word. As we've mentioned already this morning, it's not because we read, we read his word to say, okay, I'm gonna build this checklist that I'm gonna check off and then once I've got it all checked off and I continue on this path, then I am right with God. No. If that's what you hear me saying this morning, go listen to a better sermon then. It's not at all. We never open the word of God. We never strive to obey the word of God because it makes us right with God. 
As those who are in Christ, we obey it and observe it and take joy and delight in it more than riches, more than food, because we have been saved. We have been delivered. Our joy is in him in knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's through the reading of the word that we get to see our brokenness and then turn and confess our sins as God welcomes us to confess our sins. He commands us to confess our sins. Why? Because he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from from all unrighteousness. As our heavenly father, from that, that letter from home saying, I know at times you doubt my goodness toward you, but I love you so much so that I didn't even spare my own son. So yes, I know you are broken. I know you are sinful. I know you struggle with sin every day. I know you struggle with others sinning against you. I know you struggle with the effects of sin on this broken and fallen world, but I am your father and I love you. Not a hair can fall from your head apart from my will. Psalm 84, four says, one thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after. Actually, I think I gave the wrong reference. I think this is Psalm 24, 7. One thing I have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I hope that as you go and enjoy the Bible this year, that you are opening it to see, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That you come inquiring in God's word to say, make straight my paths, Lord. Guide me in your ways, not according to my wisdom that so often leads me astray, but according to your wisdom. Help me to gaze upon your beauty and to inquire in your temple to find the riches of who you are. As we, as we turn to communion this morning, we get to gaze upon the beauty of our Savior in another a sacrament that God has given us to enjoy, seeing in kind of a tangible form, something that we can taste and see Truth that points to the truth of Scripture that our Savior was broken for us. That He bled and died for our wickedness, our evil, the offense that we have before our holy and just and righteous God. We enjoy these elements not because they save us, but because they point us to our Savior. And God in his grace has given us this tangible thing that we can again taste and see and be reminded that he is good, that his promises never fail, that, that Christ is coming again. So if you are in Christ this morning, enjoy 
the elements that we're about to partake in. Enjoy them because they show you the beauty of your Savior. Enjoy them in light of the truth of God's word that we know that he has accomplished these things on our behalf. And if you're not a believer, if you're not in Christ, well, I would invite you again to come talk Talk to me, talk to someone after the service because we want to open the word of God with you and show you the beauty of Christ so you can come to faith in Jesus Christ, that you can see him and say, I believe that Jesus Christ died for me, that he rose for my justification, that he sits enthroned on high even this very moment interceding for me. And now I can see the word of God in a whole new light as that love letter from home from my heavenly father. But if you don't believe these things, please let's let the elements pass you by. We don't want you to be confused. We don't want you to think that in some way this is making you right with God. This is a celebration, a family meal that we take together to celebrate the goodness, the beauty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the wonderful gift that God has given us. Let's pray. Father, it is so good to come before you. There is so much brokenness and sin in me, and there is so much brokenness and sin in this world. but you are good and right and holy and just. And the fact that, I can, that we can come before you in prayer, that we can come before the throne of grace with confidence should shake us to our core and, and just joy and excitement. Father, I pray that as we enjoy these elements together, that you would help them to remind us of your faithfulness, to remind us of what your son has accomplished on our behalf, the finished work. When he said, it is finished, he was not lying. Help us to rejoice in the fact that it is indeed finished. Help us as we go on today, the rest of our week, help us to have a renewed delight in your word, to open it, to enjoy it, to devour it, to be nourished by it because we see in it the beauty of our Savior. We get to gaze at your beauty. Father, we praise you for your great love that you have given us in Christ. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org.